0: I'm going to read through chapter 53. In chapter 52, we're picking up in verse 13. This was written 700 years before Jesus was born, roughly. But as I read, I want you to listen. If you know much about the story of Jesus, listen for these words and think about Jesus. Because this was a prophecy about Jesus some 700 years later. Chapter 52 of Isaiah, verse 13. See, my servant will act wisely. He will be raised and lifted up and exalted. Just as there were many who were appalled at him, his appearance was so disfigured beyond that of any human being and his form marred beyond human likeness, so he will sprinkle many nations. In other words, purify. And kings will shut their mouths because of him. For what they were were not told, they will see. And what they have not heard, they will understand. Who has believed our message? And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? In other words, the strength of God to save is being revealed. He grew up before them like a tender shoot, like a root out of dry ground. He had no beauty or majesty to attract us to him. Nothing in his appearance that we should desire him. He was despised and rejected by mankind a man of suffering and familiar with pain. Like one from whom people hide their faces, he was despised and we held him in low esteem. Surely he took up our pain and bore our suffering. And yet we considered him punished by God, stricken by him and afflicted. He was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was on him, and by his wounds we are healed. We all, like sheep, have gone astray. Each of us have turned to our own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed and afflicted, yet he did not open his mouth. He was like a lamb led to the slaughter, as a sheep before its shearers is silent, so he did not open his mouth. By oppression and judgment he was taken away. Yet who of his generation protested? For he was cut off from the land of the living. For the transgressions of my people he was punished. He was assigned a grave with the wicked and with the rich in his death, though he had done no violence, nor was any deceit in his mouth. Yet it was the Lord's will to crush him and cause him to suffer. And though the Lord makes his life an offering for sin, he will see his offspring and prolong his days. And the will of the Lord will prosper in his hand. After he has suffered, he will see the light of life and be satisfied. That is a prophecy of the resurrection. By his knowledge, my righteous servant will justify many, and he will bear their iniquities. Therefore, I will give him a portion among the great, and he will divide the spoils with the strong, because he poured out his life unto death and was numbered among the the transgressors for he bore the sins of many and made intercession for the transgressors. This is the reading of God's word you may be seated and today we do have Kingdom Kids which is our ministry for those who are four years old through second grade and so they can meet up with our Kingdom Kids workers right over here and they're gonna head to our Christian Life Center upstairs which is the metal building set right back here behind the sanctuary Parents, you can pick up your kiddos from there after the worship service has concluded today. Before we get into Isaiah, I want to just make one quick announcement. Uh, we're excited to be participating in a men's conference. It's the first we've done. Uh, we are working alongside of First Baptist Orange Grove and their ministerial staff to provide this chance for us men to get together and talk about what does it mean when God calls us to lead ourselves well, to lead our homes well, and to lead Within the church and so we are looking forward to that on November 11th and 12th Friday evening through Saturday lunch. This is going to be at Camp Zephyr which is on the other side of Lake uh, Corpus Christi near Mathis and we've got some fun things planned. We've got some uh, great guest speaker and worship leader and it's going to be really a phenomenal time. Uh, We have set the age for 15 and up so that dads, if you have uh, an older teenage son that you would like to bring with them, this could be a great opportunity for you all to spend some time together studying the Word of God together and worshiping and having uh, lots of fun. So if you're interested in that, just let us know. We have the details. You can check a box on the connection card. Let us know you're interested. And I will let you know about registration. Registration is going to end the last uh, Sunday of October, so October 30th will be the deadline. Uh but please let us know. You can go to men made to lead conference or excuse me, made to leadconference.com, I believe is the address. It'll take you to a page on First Baptist Orange Groves website and that's where you can get registered and you can pay. Uh, the price is, if I remember correctly, it's I think it's $75 per person if you want to split a room with someone. It's 115 if you want to join in with someone else and share a room. Uh, but don't, if that expense is too high for you, I understand, I've been there before myself, no worries, just let us know you want to go, and if you need a little help on the cost, it's not a problem, we don't want anybody not to go because of the cost, so please check that out, we look forward to it, okay, enough of the infomercial, back to Isaiah, alright, Isaiah, uh, we're doing again what we've been doing the last few weeks, which is trying to talk about one book of the Bible in one sermon, which is a bit of a challenge, We're going to mostly camp out in Isaiah 53, which I read to you just a moment ago. But we're also going to touch down in Isaiah 6 here in just a moment. I want to give you a little background on Isaiah and and then work through the message that he preached to God's people. And then what I think we're going to see is that suffering on behalf of others should not be beneath us. If suffering on the behalf of others was not beneath God. So if you're looking for what's this message all about, what's the big idea, that's it. Suffering on behalf of others cannot be beneath the Christian because the Christian is a Christian because God chose to suffer on behalf of us. So that's where we're going. That's what we're going to be covering. But let's pause and pray and ask the Holy Spirit to guide us during this time. Would you pray with me? Father God, I thank you for your word It's clear that you've inspired it, even as we look at Isaiah, because how could he know all that would transpire in the years to come? And most of all, in the prophecy about Jesus himself, how could he know if it weren't for you? And so, God, we thank you that you have spoken to us through the scriptures. And Father, even more than just hearing your voice in the scriptures, you have something to say about our lives. And how it intersects with scripture. What your word has to say about how we live today. So Father God, I pray that you would open our minds to hear your message. Soften our hearts to receive it and ready our hands to take what you teach us today. And put into action in our lives. This we ask in the name of Jesus. Amen. Well Isaiah is sometimes called the first or sometimes even the fifth gospel. What is the gospel? If you work through the New Testament, you have what? Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. These are known as the gospels. Sometimes you hear them called the gospel of Matthew, or the gospel of Mark, or John's gospel. You've probably, maybe if you've been in church a little bit, you've probably heard some of that lingo before. What does that mean? It's a message. The gospel means good news that is told. You heard that in the Bible presentation. That's why the Bibles were wrapped in newspaper. Did you catch that? Because what we have to share is news. It's information about what God has done for us, right? And so the whole Bible is news. Good news is the definition of gospel. If you want to know what is an actual definition of gospel, it means good news. But when we talk about Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, what we're saying is the good news they are proclaiming is the good news about Jesus, right? So the good news about Jesus is actually talked about in Isaiah. You saw that in 53, end of 52 and all of 53. That's throughout Isaiah. You hear about someone that sounds an awful lot like Jesus, okay? So what is happening is Isaiah has been given a prophecy about someone who is to come, Jesus, a Messiah, a king. Everlasting, who is also going to be a suffering servant, someone to suffer on the behalf of others. I think that's why, because this gospel message is so central to Isaiah, I think that's why uh, Isaiah is actually quoted more than any other prophet in the New Testament. I think it's also why, somewhere in the 1200s, When folks got together and decided, you know, navigating the Bible would actually be easier if we had chapters and verses. Have you ever noticed that in your Bible? It's got chapters and verses, right? The big numbers, the chapter. The little numbers, the verse, right? Well, that's not something original to the Bible. That was added much later. So a little after 1,200 chapters and verses were added, and Isaiah would have been a part of that addition. And what's interesting is that Whoever figured that out decided that Isaiah would have 66 chapters. You know how many books are in the Bible? 66 books of the Bible. The first 39 chapters of Isaiah talk about the condemnation that is coming God's people's way. Now, just to give you a little background, uh, if you have been with us for a while, tracking with us through this sermon series, you already know God's people tend to get in trouble kind of like us. I don't know. I'm in that camp. Maybe you are too. God's people tend to get in trouble. And God's people were worshiping other gods and just, you know, not giving God their full allegiance. And what God said is, listen, you can't keep doing this. This is not the way to live. You are to be a light among the nations and you look just like them. And so he allows uh, the The kingdom, his kingdom to be divided into a northern kingdom which is simply just called Israel at this point and a southern kingdom that becomes known as Judah now the northern kingdom at this point has already been conquered by the Assyrians and now the Assyrians are breathing down the neck of Judah and so they see the writing on the wall even though they are actually, they dodge a bullet when it comes to Assyria soon after them comes Babylon and they are indeed conquered and many of them exiled, meaning they were kicked out of their own country. So Isaiah is writing in the midst of this pressure from Assyria, and God has given a message about future conquering through Babylon. And so those who divided up the chapters and the verses and all of that in the Old Testament around 1,200, they made the book of Isaiah have 66 chapters, and they chose that for the first 39 chapters it would be about this Condemnation that is settling on Judah because they have not followed God with their full heart. How many books of Bible do you find in the Old Testament? 39. And they chose for the second third of Isaiah the next 27 chapters, which mirrors the 27 books of the New Testament to be chapters about the consolation, to let them know that yes, things are tough, But through the grace of God, it's going to get better. There is a future hope. So this is a way for us to look at these two sections of Scripture. And I just want to kind of cover the first part, the condemnation part. We find this taking place in Isaiah chapter 6. I think it's worth flipping back over to Isaiah chapter 6 with me because we're going to read a little bit out of there. Isaiah 6 is another one of those very well known parts of Isaiah because it is the commissioning of Isaiah. It's God calling Isaiah into ministry. We find that Isaiah has this encounter with God. And it reads in chapter 6, verse 1 In the year that King Uzziah died, this was one of the kings of Judah, I saw the Lord, Isaiah says, high and exalted, seated on the throne. He's having a vision. And the train of his robe filled the temple. Above him were seraphim, each with six wings. That's an angel. With two wings, they covered their face. With two, they covered their feet. And with two more, they were flying. They were calling to one another, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord Almighty. The whole earth is full of his glory. At the sound of their voices, the doorposts and thresholds shook, and the temple was filled with smoke. Now, what does Isaiah say to all of this that he's experiencing? He says, Whoa. This is quite a scene. But not just woe, as in, look at the glory of God. But when he sees the glory of God, he sees his own condition. And he says, Woe to me, I cried. I am ruined. For I am a man of unclean lips, and I live among a people of unclean lips. And my eyes have seen the King, the Lord Almighty. If you've ever had an encounter with the living God, you know something about what Isaiah was experiencing here. If you've ever had that kind of holy moment where the presence of God just settles on you, it's tinged with fear. Because when you see how glorious and how great God is, you know in His presence, you and I are nothing. Add to that, Isaiah knew he was an imperfect man. And add to that, Isaiah knew he was a part of a people that had sinfully sinned against God. So he says, I have unclean lips, so do my people. Verse 6 of chapter 6 of Isaiah, we read, Then one of the seraphim flew to me with a live coal in his hand, which he had taken from the tongs from the altar. Altar would have been where they sacrificed things, burnt offerings. With it he touched my mouth and said, See, this has touched your lips, your guilt is taken away and your sin is atoned for. Then I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send and who will go For us. Now at this point, Isaiah has been cleansed. He's been prepared. He's been given the the vision. He doesn't know what it's going to entail, but God has prepared him for a yes. When God says, will you go? Isaiah says, yes. Is that true in your life? When God calls you, when God opens the door for you, when he says, whom shall I send? Do we answer like Isaiah? Isaiah said, here I am, send me. Now he doesn't know exactly what God is going to send him to do. He doesn't know what the request will be, but he gives his answer in advance. Verse 9, this is God speaking. He says, go and tell this people. Now at this point, Isaiah is unaware of what's about to happen. And I don't know what he's thinking. I don't know if he thinks it's going to be good news or bad news. But when I give God my yes, I'm kind of hoping, I'm saying yes to something really wonderful, something really great, something maybe even fun, something enjoyable, something that will add to my life and make my life better. That's what I want to say yes to. Isaiah has given God his yes, and this is the task Isaiah is given. In verse 9, go and tell this people, be ever hearing but never understanding. Be ever seeing but never perceiving. Verse 10. Make the heart of this people, Judah, calloused. Make their ears dull and close their eyes. Otherwise they might see with their eyes, hear with their ears, understand with their hearts, and turn and be healed. Now that is a little perplexing to hear that, that this is what Isaiah has been given to do. Here's the point. The point is that God knew that when Isaiah preached the truth to the people, they would would reject him. They would reject the message and they would turn their hearts from God. God is preparing Isaiah for this uncomfortable task, right? And so he asked something that I think I would ask, which is, okay, how long do I have to do this? That's exactly what he says. Verse 11, then I said, for how long, Lord? That's a great question. How long, God, am I going to have to carry out this assignment that doesn't sound like it's going to be all that fun? He says, until the cities lie ruined and without inhabitants until the houses are left deserted and the fields ruined and ravaged, until the Lord has sent everyone far away and the land is utterly forsaken. What's he talking about? He's talking about when Babylon will come and conquer Judah. And though a tenth remains in the land, it will again be laid to waste. But as the terebinth and the oak leave stump behind when they're cut down, so the holy seed will be the stump of in the land. Now, what he's saying there is that, yes, I'm going to cut the tree Judah down, but there remains a stump and roots. There is hope. There will be a remnant. This is a word of con- condemnation with a hint of hope. And then when we get into Isaiah 52 and 53, we see the hope on clear display. Actually, if you know what Isaiah's name means, you know hope was coming. Because what is Isaiah's name? In Hebrew, it means God is salvation or the Lord is salvation. So in condemnation, he is telling forth the message of God. But now in hope, he is foretelling a message of hope in the future. Again, this remnant that's going to give birth to the Savior and bring hope to the world is told some 700 years before Jesus is ever born. Isaiah was written some 700 years before Jesus was ever born. And we read what Jesus does. What is the consolation? What is the hope? What is the prophecy? Surely he took up our pain, Isaiah 53:4, and bore our suffering. And yet we considered him punished by God, stricken by him, afflicted, He was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was on him. And by his wounds, we are healed. This is what Jesus did for us. Now, I want you to imagine something with me for a second. I know sometimes the gospel is old news in that it was told long ago, even before Jesus' day. Sometimes that old news, if we'll allow it, will become stale news to us. Though it shouldn't be. When we think about what God has done for us in Jesus, it should enliven our hearts, it should lift us up, it should encourage us. But sometimes we just we can sometimes just kind of feel like, you know, I've heard this stuff before. So I want us to think about it from maybe a slightly different angle with an illustration. Just think about this with me for a second. I want you to imagine for just a moment all of your sins. All the ones you can think of. Now, what is sin? What is this is what it's talking about when it says words like iniquities and transgressions. Those are just kind of big four-dollar words for, for sin, all right? What is sin? In the Bible, there's two ways in which we sin. One way is we sin by doing something God tells us not to do. Those are sins of commission. Now there's also the sin of omission. That's not doing the things God has told us to do: love your neighbor, feed the poor, et cetera, et cetera. Forgive your enemy, pray for those who hate you. You know the tough ones. So we have sins, the things we do, and we have sins, the things we don't do that we really should do. Would you just think about it for a second, and just kind of put all those into a big bucket? In your mind's eye, in your own imagination, just put all those sins into a bucket. All the things you can think of, maybe in the last week, you know, got impatient with the kids and you yelled at them, or you said something that wasn't entirely true to kind of get you off the hook so you wouldn't get too much heat from your boss or your spouse or whatever, right? You know, you went went above the speed limit guilt-free until just now, and God brought it to mind, right? You know, just start adding all those things up just from the last week, the last two weeks. Now, multiply that out of the years you have been alive. I need a big bucket, and it's full. Now, I want you to think with me for a minute, all of us who are in here. We all got this big bucket filled to the brim with with our sins the things we have done that we shouldn't have done. The things we should have done that we didn't do. Now we got to pour, let's pour all those into an even bigger bucket. You take your bucket, I take mine. We all take our bucket filled with our sin. How big of a bucket do we need with just the people in this room? Pretty big, right? I, I know mine's big already. So if yours is at least as big as mine, we're going to need a really big bucket to put it all in. Now multiply that out over the billions of people who are alive on earth right now. Now multiply that out over the billions of people who have ever lived. Here's the message of salvation, that all of that sin, yours and mine, the world's now, and in centuries past, all that was poured out on Jesus. That's what Isaiah 53 is prophesying. There would come one who is a suffering servant on whom the sins of the world would be poured out. That's Jesus. That's what he has done for us. He's taking on the sins of the world on the cross, past, present, and future. And yet, this this is the thing that amazes me when I think about that. We read that this was pleasing to God the Father to allow this to happen, not only to allow it to, but to plan it. God the Father saw it, and we read this uh, in—I um, can't find the verse, but you'll know where it is. It's—it's it's in chapter fifty-three. I promise. I just I didn't write down the address but it says yet this is the CSB it's a different translation it says a little bit more clearly yet the lord was pleased to crush him Now how would that make you feel if you're Jesus God the father is pleased to see me crush under all these iniquities to see this big huge enormous bucket of sin poured out on me how would Jesus feel about that We don't have to guess the word of god tells us how he felt about it Hebrews 12:2 reads For the joy set before him, he endured the cross. He and the Father were of the same mind. That it was good to go through suffering on behalf of others. They saw it exactly the same way. That it would be good for them to go through suffering on behalf of others. That's how God the Father saw it. That's how God the Son saw it. And ironically, this is exactly what Isaiah goes through. Just a few verses before Hebrews 12, 2, which I just read for you, for the joy of the Lord, for the joy set before him, he, Jesus, endured the cross. Just a chapter before that, we read what's called the Faith Hall of Fame. You may have heard this before. It starts off by saying in Hebrews 11, 1 and 2, Now faith is confidence in what we hope for and assurance about what we do not see. And then the writer of Hebrews says this is what the ancients were commended for. And then he gives a long list of the ancients, people you've heard of in the Old Testament that went through difficulty but kept having faith in God. And then he gets to a section halfway through verse 35 where we read... There were others who were tortured, refusing to be released so that they might gain an even better resurrection. Some faced jeers and flogging and even chains and imprisonment. They were put to death by stoning. Taking a stone, a rock, smashing someone's skull in, that's stoning. Horrendous, right? They were sawed in too. They were killed by the sword, so on and so forth. We read about those Who thought like God, the Father, who thought like Jesus, the Son, it is good to suffer for others. Now here's the interesting thing. This is not in the Bible. This is more legend-has-it kind of situation, though. It may be a little bit firmer than that. It may be a little more historical than, than saying it that way. But you won't find it necessarily in the Scriptures, that when the writer of Hebrews is talking about what these people suffered on behalf of others for the glory of God, you read about being sawed in two. History outside of the Bible says that's Isaiah. That Isaiah, who had a very unpopular message, we talked about that earlier. That Isaiah was the one who was sawed in two by who? By his own king Manasseh. Because Manasseh didn't like what Isaiah had to say. God the Father, God the Son, Isaiah himself, saw suffering on behalf of others was not beneath them. How do we feel about that? How do we feel about suffering on behalf of others? This is hard. Let me be honest with you. This, This is a tough one. To suffer on behalf of others. To suffer f- on behalf of others in our work, in our homes, among our friends and extended family, at school. There's so many things I, I want to clarify about what I'm gonna say, but and maybe you can ask me about it later, but but we'll just let's dwell on this for just a moment. Suffering on behalf of Of others, it may look like graciously interacting with difficult people. How many of you know difficult people? If you don't raise your hand, you are the difficult person. (laughs) Others around you will confirm this. No pointing fingers, that ain't right. (laughs) Suffering on behalf of others may be graciously interacting with them. Understand what I'm not saying. I'm not saying it means you have to be a doormat. Sometimes the gracious interaction is to confront, not in a hateful and an angry way, but in a loving, caring way. Maybe that's what God is calling you into. You've got some difficult people. God is calling you to suffer on behalf of them by not giving full vent to your rage, but in the spirit of Jesus himself, loving them as a fellow sinner. I think maybe perhaps along those same lines, one of the most difficult things that you can do when it comes to suffering on behalf of others is to forgive someone who's hurt you deeply. To suffer that pain. You know, that is what forgiveness is, is to suffer a pain that someone else caused without trying to make them pay for it. That's what forgiveness is. It's taking the injustice within yourself without forcing them to pay for themselves. Is God asking you to forgive hurt or harm done to you? I will admit that is a suffering that God calls us to do on behalf of another. Now, again, that doesn't mean you have to keep letting them hurt or harm you. Not saying that, but there's someone you need to forgive that you're holding on to the hurt because you want them to pay. What does it look like to suffer on behalf of them? The challenge is we don't know necessarily the end results. Think about what Isaiah is doing here. He knows that he is giving a tough, he is going to suffer on behalf of Judah. And he won't even see the good things God has given him to prophesy about. Because it's not just Jesus being born 700 years later. It's also Jesus' second coming when he's going to make the world right. He's prophesying about that. He's not going to see that either. That's one of the challenges that we face when it comes to suffering on behalf of others. We don't control the outcome and we don't know the timeline. The question is, what is God calling you to? What is he calling you to do? How is he calling you to suffer on behalf of others? And in our hearts, we don't want to do it, do we? If we're honest, I don't want to do that. And I would 100% understand. here's, Here's what helps me he said, I know when I do, I'm being like Jesus. I know when I do that, I'm being like God the Father. I know when I am willing to suffer on behalf of others. I'm living out this gospel message that was told 700 years earlier than the birth of Jesus himself. If God the Father was willing to do it, if Jesus the Son was willing to do it, here's what I know, God the Holy Spirit lives in me and can help me to suffer for others. Because suffering on behalf of another cannot be beneath me. If it was not beneath God, my father and Jesus, my savior, let's pray. Father God, I thank you that you have taken all of our sins. You've poured them out on Jesus. Jesus, we thank you that you saw the joyful outcome of what you would endure And you didn't flinch, you walked right into that suffering on our behalf. None of us would be saved, none of us would be forgiven, none of us would be made right, none of us would have heaven as our future home if you had not suffered on our behalf. So Jesus, how can we say thank you enough? I know one way we can express our gratitude for what you have done for us is to live like you. if you're calling us to suffer on behalf of another Holy Spirit we pray that you, you would give us the courage, the strength to do just that not necessarily knowing the outcome not knowing how long it might take to complete the task you've given us but Father we pray that you would help us through your Spirit's work in our life. This is what we ask in the name of Jesus